It is 9.04pm on Thursday the 6th of February 2020. You're listening to Burn FM and this is the Goals Allowed Football Show. My name is Jake Sandy and unfortunately this week we've gone for a slightly tactical change in the studio as we've gone from three at the back system to a centre-back pairing as I'm just joined with Jules Singh. Hello everyone. So before we start the show, as always, we will go to our question of the week. I actually forgot to write one down so I'm going to do one straight off the dome piece. Before the show, me and Jules were talking about the 2008 League Cup final where Chelsea, unfortunately, in my opinion, lost to Tottenham Hotspur. But what is your favourite FA Cup memory, league, like, just cup memory, Jules, to, to domestic cups? Ooh, um, I would have to say um, the moment when Gerrard scores that screamer from outside the box in the FA Cup final in 2006 because it's just it's just an iconic memory the sound from the um uh the speaker saying there'll be a minimum of uh, 2 minutes added on and then Jarrod just whacks one in like it, in terms of like domestic cup football that memory will will always stick out to me yeah it also actually does open up an interesting thread about the most uh, the sort of most iconic pieces of commentary as well yeah so i think the uh, Gerrard i don't know, I don't know, was it Motson commentating or Jonathan <sighs> Pierce I think it might have been Pierce. Yeah, because there's some really sort of iconic commentary that will definitely live long in, especially Liverpool fans' memories. Try to think for Chelsea. Um, one that definitely won't uh, remember for a while was the 1 0. I think it was when I was in first year, the FA Cup final against Man United. I think it was Antonio Conte. Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. And it was the most boring game of football I've ever watched in my life. Even watching my team win a cup, which is a pretty big occasion, was spoiled by the fact it was the worst game of football I've ever watched. Was it a 1-0 win? It was. It was an Eden Hazard penalty. penalty. Yeah, 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 and yeah, I remember. Even, yeah, that was not, that was not, <laughs> not a good FA Cup final. Yeah, in terms of other ones, Chelsea have won that sort of stick in my memory. Um, 2009 10 when they won the double, I think that was quite a yeah. big one because I don't think Chelsea had won a double at that point before. Yeah, so I don't think they did. No. Obviously, I don't, then they won one since actually. Cause the other times they won the they won a yeah. No, they yeah. I think I think like the the 2010s were that pre- period where Chelsea would go one season without winning a trophy, and then the next season they'd win one, and it's been been alternating ever since. Yeah, so I think moving on from that, we'll uh, well this week because there is a sort of. Is it a, they're calling it a winter break, aren't they? Despite the fact it's in February, and yeah, well. it's not a complete break because some teams are playing. There's only four games this week in the Premier League, and none of them are particularly exciting. So I thought what would be more interesting for us to cover would be the sort of January transfer window and some of the biggest moves that happened in it. And I don't know whether this is really a big move, but it's definitely probably the most notable one that I saw was that Odion Agallo has gone from the Chinese Super League to link up with Manchester United, which is quite a big move for him personally. I'm sure people have seen on Twitter the photo he posted of him when he was younger. This was four years ago. Him stood at in front of the sign at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. No, Old Trafford. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then seeing him go there as a player to play for arguably the world's biggest club in terms of monetary value, at least. Do you think it was a good move for him coming back from China to go to United, where maybe there will be quite a lot of competition there? I think it'll definitely be a good move for him. I see it as one of those signings where. There's obviously a bit of an injury crisis up front. Martial will be starting ahead of him anyway. It's just in the off chance that 
uh, Marshall gets injured and Greenwood's not really cutting it, then at least you have a senior backup striker option there. But you never know; he may he may impress in training, up his game a little bit, and and maybe like come into contention for a starting place. But yeah, it it, it was a, it was a weird one. The only thing I can um, see similar to it in the transfer window was Yannick Carrasco coming from the Chinese Super League back to Atletico Madrid, having done his um, money move there about three, four seasons ago, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting one, because I, there's obviously a lot of, uh, I don't know the word, but association with the Chinese Super League, because it's somewhere where players go to earn money, sort of as a sort of pre-retirement kind of thing. Yeah. So with players that did go there, and who are still in their sort of prime years, between sort of 25 and 30, seeing what they're doing now, that clearly he perhaps wasn't enjoying China as much as he thought he would be, because obviously there's a big culture difference there, and I think that would definitely be an impact if you were to go and live there on a full-time basis, especially as he used to play for Watford, so you're living, going from living in London, where clearly you know a lot of people, and you've got a lot of, sort of family ties there, going to somewhere that's so far away, obviously would probably be quite a difficult move, so moving back to England would probably be a, better, would be a good choice for him from a sort of personal level, and even if he doesn't get to play a lot of Man United, the sort of stuff he'd learn there from playing on, sort of, even his with teammates of the calibre of the players that United have, would definitely be a good experience for him, I think. Yeah. The only worry for me would be the Chinese Super League, from what I've heard, isn't the most intense kind of league from sort from a fitness point of view. And you do worry that, given he's only here on a short-term loan until this summer, how long will it be until he gets fully matched up? And how long will there be between that point and the end of the season? And can he really make enough impact? It it it, 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 it is a strange one. It was one of those one transfers I thought really, but um, I think you've got to look at it from the Chinese Super League's perspective. They're obviously trying to increase the interest in um, football in China, and they don't really want to have a similar reputation that the M- uh, the MLS has built of it's just a place for for older players to. Retire, and no one, no one really enjoys the sport as much as, as much as other sports in the country. But for me, I think, I think it got, it got, it got time to impress. I mean, he, he's made that move to Man United, which comes with high expectations. So I think, I think, given a bit of time and some high intensity training, I think, I, th- I think he can, he can make uh, some form of impact at United. Yeah, another thing that I did see when I was researching him for this was that actually at the last Africa Cup of Nations, he did finish the top scorer in the competition. Oh, really? Yeah, which is surprised me because I didn't know his sort of international pedigree, given that I haven't particularly followed his career very closely. I would have just assumed that Sadio Mane or Riyad Mahrez had got it, but no, that, that's a surprise. Yeah, it, Nigeria, isn't he, I believe? Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. there's a lot, like, you got a lot of good players in that team as well. You've got Victor Moses, people, Kalechi Iheanacho. Yep. Nigerian, I'm not sure if he played in that. He don't know if he played, to be honest, in the last couple of nations. Actually, the last couple of nations were in the summer, so he probably would have, because it's normally in January, but last year it got moved yeah. to the summer. Yeah, it's been ma- moved back to January now. Yeah, that's a, we could probably do a whole other show on that, <laughs> given that Liverpool's front, uh, two out of their front three would yeah. probably want to be involved in that. Yeah, and a midfielder, Naby Keita. That's even Papua New Guinea? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah so another one that Man United. Well, another transfer target that Man United finally captured, a saga that seemingly went on forever, and I was moderately convinced Bruno Fernandes didn't actually exist at one point, because it was just a name that was being floated around. But it, he did finally make a big money move to uh, Old Trafford, and 
it's an interesting one because being a sort of creative midfielder who also scores goals, he does have a sort of, in a very vague sense, a similar profile to a certain Manchester United player who it looks to be on his way out of the club. So do you think that this is the right kind of player that needs to be bringing in in order to get that spark in midfield that Paul Pogba, who I just very obviously alluded to, isn't providing as of late? Oh, definitely. I mean, one of the one of the biggest issues this season has been goals from anyone other than Marcus Rashford, and now that he now that he has a long term injury, um, it it was a it was a panic buy without the the usual short length period of being a panic buy. For me, it was very similar to the um, Harry Maguire saga in the summer of we want him. Okay, this is how much you have to pay us for him. No, we don't want to pay that much. And in the end, just paying end up paying that transfer fee anyway. So for, for, for me, he's going to make a, ma- a major impact because uh, he scored a lot of goals from midfield. I know in the Portuguese league, but you've got to remember um, so many good players have come from these so-called lesser leagues and made such a big impact. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing that sort of came out after the signing was announced was that in the media there were a lot of positive stories running about Ed Woodward, who is the chief executive of Manchester United, who many say is in charge of the transfers there, saying that he played a key role in getting the deal over the line. And what's interesting about it was that he has recently hired a journalist, well, a former Sun journalist, to become his sort of PR man. Right. And obviously I don't know what's gone on and I'm not going to allude to anything, but it is interesting that given that Manchester United fans seem to have a negative opinion of him, that he's just happened to recently acquire the services of someone who was very involved in the sports media industry in the UK, and now there are lots of positive stories being written about him. That is an interesting one. Do you know if that was before or after his um, home was attacked? That was before. That was before? It's, okay. I believe it's been... I think it's within the last month he was he okay. joined the sort of Woodward team, if you want to say that. It's an interesting one. I mean, I, I won't argue against needing one because all you have to do is look at um, the online social media reaction to Manchester United's um, transfer business to know that a lot of fans aren't pleased with how Ed Woodward and the transfer board have been doing things. So the 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 PR stunt. Uh, uh, I think it, if anything, you need to do it for the for the entire club because it's not just. Ed Woodward that's getting criticism it's the owners uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is under a lot of pressure himself so I, I think Man United fans criticism solely being on Ed Woodward, Ed Woodward is slightly unjustified there. If you want a fun fact uh, his full name is Edward Woodward which means if you take all the D's his name becomes Ewa Wuwa that is a fun fact that I now know. <laughs> no, I'm so glad I got this chance. I always say I always try and bring him up when I talk to people about football because I just like to say that because it's just funny. Edward would well, I can't. I, I try saying that five times really fast because I can't. Yes, it's an interesting one because ultimately the story that came out was framed as in it was really impressive how he managed to get him, but fundamentally that is Edward was job. Like yeah. you can't say oh well it's sort of like congratulating a postman for delivering your post. There's a Zlatan quote about that. It's like, what, oh, it's why doesn't someone asked him why he doesn't score? Why doesn't celebrate when he scores? And Zlatan said, oh, why doesn't the postman uh, celebrate when he delivers the post? <laughs> that is the most Zlatan quote an, one could say. Uh, I've got a Zlatanism. 
it doesn't really work. But it's all, it's all for, it's yeah, all culture. Um, you touched on another interesting point about the fact that he was coming from Liga Nos in Portugal, yeah. and before this, I think me and Danny spoke about it on a, a podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And we're trying to work out whether there were any players from the Portuguese league who came over to England and were successful right away. We couldn't think of one. Well, an attacking one. Obviously, from a defensive side, you've got someone like Ricardo Carvalho, who instantly uh, sort of linked up with Jose Mourinho again at Chelsea in 2004-05, who went straight into the first team. But aside from, but from a sort of attacking point of view, like Ricardo Carasma, for example, yeah. we couldn't think of anyone who turned out particularly good in their first season. Was Cristiano Ronaldo? What were Cristiano Ronaldo's numbers like in his first season at United? Uh, I'll look it up. I thought they were. I thought they were decent. Yeah, perhaps. No, I just assumed that. Well, I mean, obviously, given that he is a sort of the you sort of the way I think of him now, it's difficult to remember a time, especially given the age I am, a time where Ronaldo wasn't like one of the best players in the world. Yeah. But aside from him, I was just trying to think. Like Nani, for example, he was, I mean, was good, but if you look at. Wolves, it's kind of brought this whole culture of here are some Portuguese players in the Premier League absolutely bossing it. If you think about Wolves in their first season in the Premier League, almost all of their Portuguese players were playing to a really high standard. So Diego Jota, I want to say, is Portuguese. Is Portuguese? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, okay, I want to assume it is. Uh, Ruben Neves. Um, Ru Patricio was a goalkeeper but excellent, excellent yeah. in his first season I mean I did look it up uh, Ronaldo's uh, league uh, record from his first season was 29 appearances 4 goals and the next season 33 appearances nine go 5 goals then 33 appearances 9 goals and then it was only 2006-07 where he broke the 10 goal mark and then the next 3 seasons he got 17 31 then 18 first. so I think it's fair to say that he was an instant successor. No, but it's, he was very young when he joined them, though, yeah. which must be said. He was 18 when he joined. He joined in 2003, so yeah. I don't know how old he was then. A bit, a bit of quick mental maths. Yeah, he would have been 18, yeah. So, obviously, it would be quite difficult, given that you're that age, to go into an entirely new league in a new country. Whereas Bruno Fernandes is... Bruno Fernandes? Is Bruno, Bruno Fernandes. Fernandes. I think it's yeah. yeah, I probably shouldn't start trying to do uh, Portuguese pronunciation live on... The radio, uh, yeah. Apart aside from them, we, yeah, I don't think there are many. But from what he sort of showed in his first game for United, he was very involved in terms of possession. I think he had the most passes, most touches, most which shots. Is, I, he was shooting a lot from outside the box. From that, my head, that literally, I, I say this to my dad while we were watching the match. The reason he scores so many goals from midfield is because he takes a lot of shots. Yeah, but I don't think that's all bad. There's definitely a confident player there I'd be more worried if he wasn't doing things like that yeah. because there is a tendency if you're playing for a big club on your debut to be somewhat sort of overawed by the experience I think was it at Old Trafford I think the game was as yeah, well yeah it was yeah yeah so it's clearly a very intense environment to go into for your first game although given that he did play for Sporting CP who are one of the big three I think they call, they call them yeah. in Portugal yeah. he's clearly been used to very uh I don't know what the word is, sort of intense environments from a footballing perspective on the pitch. So it probably wouldn't be the biggest uh, leap to go into Old Trafford. So moving on from Manchester United to their bitter rivals, Liverpool. Uh, one signing that I think most people have forgotten about now, to be honest, because it happened right... Well, it was announced in the end of December, I believe. Like mid-December, it was, it was starting to be, to be rumoured, and then I think it was announced 
um, somewhere around the 21st or the 22nd of December, it was formally announced. Yeah, so it was uh, Minamino, is that you said? Yeah, Takumi Minamino. Takumi Minamino moved to Liverpool from RB Salzburg in Austria. Yes. So, given that he is, he's quite a young player, isn't he? Uh, Reasonably? 23, 24, I think. Yeah, so he's sort of not quite his peak yet, but definitely sort of coming up onto where you'd want to be making big strides. Do you think it was a big move to go from a club like Salzburg to Liverpool, given that when you look at someone like Mane, for example, who also played at Salzburg, Mm -hmm. he went to Southampton first, which gave him a lot of Premier League experience, then moved on to, or graduated, if you will, to a massive club like Liverpool, do you think that this jump might be a bit too big for him, especially given the amount of talent in that Liverpool team? I don't think so, because um, if you look at RB Salzburg's uh, record in the Champions League this season, they have done, they did immensely well in the group stages, and these are against teams that are playing at a, a top level, so that includes Napoli, and he did score against Liverpool at Anfield as well. But that was kind of a whole thing embedded uh, with the RB Salzburg team, I think you could see that with that um, new striker that Dortmund have signed. Erling uh, uh, Haaland. Haaland, yeah, exactly. And what is it? Seven goals in three games. Three games, I think. That's that, that's an insane record. If you can carry something like that on, I think we're looking at Bundesliga top scorer. But I don't think that will happen. Um, but no, I think Minamino will need time. Obviously, it's not like a Van Dyke esque signing where he jumps straight into the team and makes an instant impact that's not the kind of signing that we want we wanted to embed him in to the side for the rest of the season um winning the premier league at the end of the season will give him that experience of what it's like to win a trophy at the big club when he's got a um full pre-season um under his belt i think we'll see the absolute best of him next season and i think we will see a good player that will have to step up in january when uh, two out of the front three go to the African Cup of Nations, he'll be starting in that front three. Just out of interest, because I literally have no idea, have there ever been any other Japanese players at Liverpool? Was he the first one? Oh, he must be the first one. I can't, I can't think of anyone. Yeah, I was trying I to think of anyone. Chelsea, and I don't think there is one. Obviously, the Shinji Kagawa is Japanese, he played for Man United. Mm-hmm. He's the only other... Uh, oh, and um, guy who played for Liverpool, Okazaki. Shinji Okazaki. Leicester, yeah, played for Leicester. Leicester, yeah. sorry, yeah. They're the only two very high-profile Japanese players I could think of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I, suppose, I don't think Chelsea have one either. No, I mean, it's uh, the the Japanese Super League. I want, is it Japanese Super oh, League? Oh, the J-League. The J-League. Um, I think that's getting a bit of um, prominence now. We got, so I think I, in the future. Teams like Vissel Kobe have... Um, they've got Podolski, Iniesta, mm-hmm. David Vier, I think. Oh, no, he retired, but he mm-hmm. did go and play there for a bit, I think. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a sort of rise in their domestic mm-hmm. league. And I think that we will see more uh, well, as time goes on if that league does increase in stature and level then it's only a matter of time before we see more and more players come over to actually yeah Europe's an interesting one because in uh, Germany has got quite a base of Asian a lot of Asian players go to Germany when you look mm-hmm. at people like Son play for Bayer Leverkusen yeah. uh, the guy who I don't uh, I don't know what I was going to say. I completely forgot what player I was going to say. I, w- I was going to mention uh, a very young player, uh, because there aren't many um, Indian footballers out there, but there is someone who is New Zealand-born with uh, Indian parents. He is also a Singh um, in the Bayern Munich Academy. I think he's 18, 19 years old now. Um, um, and, he's, and he's training with the first team as well. So 
um, sent it here first on Goals Allowed. If he makes a first team appearance in Bayern, I will be getting a Bayern Munich shirt with that name on the back. Yeah, so moving on from uh, what we talking about just a second ago, the final thing I just want to say about him, given that he does play in a sort of midfield and can also play as a winger, mm-hmm. do you see him getting many minutes outside of the Cup of Nations? Or do you think he may be restricted just appearing off the bench or if there is an injury amongst either Sarah or Mane? I mean, I think back to a time when we still had Philippe Coutinho because that's the, that's the last time when we had four of those players that were a very high calibre because I, I think Minamino can be that Coutinho-esque player. Personally, I would like to see him playing in an attacking midfield position but it's difficult at the moment because Henderson and Alden are playing really, really well. Um, so th- there's an opportunity to, for him to play there he can play either wing he can even play as a false nine as well so I think most of his minutes will come um, when it comes to rotation and it, when it comes to being as a substitute but um, I don't want to say because it will potentially make it come true but every 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 transfer window you look at, at Liverpool's big players and you think oh, are Barcelona and Real Madrid going to try and come for them are the players going to want to leave I mean the the cynic in me uh, still has that in the back, back of my mind even though we are one of if not the best team in the world at the moment the, the fear in the back of my head still still arises there uh, yeah the player I was thinking of was Keizuki Honda who okay. didn't play in uh, Germany but he did play briefly for Milan moved there from CSK in Moscow oh, nice. and bizarrely he is also currently the coach of the Cambodia national team while still playing football in Brazil well there's another fun fact for you there uh, another, uh, this is a different kind of signing that I want to highlight because it's a quite an interesting story. Is Tarek Lamptey moved to Brighton from Chelsea? Mm-hmm. I don't I know if you've this. heard a lot. I saw, of, I saw this. Yeah, so basically he was a very, I think he's 20, 19 or 20. He's a very young player and he's made his first team debut in the Arsenal game. He came on as a second half substitute, I think, and was quite important in the game. He's a very attacking winger and definitely helped Chelsea get back into that game. And from that, I think he's also made two FA Cup appearances for the first team. But he has moved to Brighton for a reported £4 million, which is an interesting one. Because on the one hand, you do say Chelsea's record of letting young players leave isn't good. Mm-hmm. For example, people like Kevin De Bruyne. And uh, I don't, can't think of any others off my head, but they're definitely ones that Chelsea should have kept hold of. Although the thing about this one is that I think Chelsea did want to keep him. And from his point of view, I can understand why he left. He is a wing-back, well, a full-back, as I said. And given that on one side you've got the starting uh, full-back would be Azpilicueta, who is the club's captain, so you can't really drop him. And on the other side you've got Rhys James, who I am, well, as regular listeners to the show will know, I'm a massive Rhys James fan and will take any opportunity to sing his praises. So I'm going to do it again. He is an incredible player and is one of the most exciting prospects at Chelsea I've seen for a very long time. And he has just signed a five-year deal with the club. So you can see from Lamptey's point of view why he didn't think there would be enough opportunities for for him there. And given that he is getting to the age now where you sort of start to need first-team football, you do think that it might have been the right move from 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 his point of view anyway. I mean, there is not always a arguments say perhaps he could have gone to the championship for a year on loan then come back and reassess his options but given that Graham Potter has such good standing in the game at developing young players and his tactical nous, perhaps this was the best move for him would you say 
it's it's tough to say until you see what kind of player he can become. I mean, I've seen Reese James play, and I I, I definitely think he's um, Chelsea's next like like starting right back for for seasons to come when Aspilicueta leaves or retires. But for, for for me, it kind of emulates a lot of issues with younger players. I'm assuming he came out of the Chelsea academy, right? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, it's, it's 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 one of those issues. I mean, Liverpool have 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 this a lot as well with 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 younger players trying to get into side. But there's another player in that position that is rock solid in that position. You know, you're not going to get minutes, so that that uh, that choice kind of has to be made for you there. But for me, you're not going to really know the kind of potential he has until you've seen him um, play for Brighton for a season. If he plays really well, um, then you probably see the regret there. Is there, is there a buyback clause in the in the, in the sale? I don't know. I, the four million, I think, is I don't know what some people, some sites said six, some said five. I think it's a very it was the transfer fee was left undisclosed. So beyond that, I don't think you would know unless it comes out somewhere in the future. Mm-hmm. I think when Nathan Ake went to Bournemouth, and there was not a lot of talk about a release clause, and then later came out it was forty no a um, buyback. I think Chelsea were forty million on Nathan Ake. Okay, that's interesting. So, given that they've done it, although he is he didn't start, it was something to do with the fact that because he was he's a quite a very young player. I don't know whether that changes whether you can have buyback clauses on people. I'm not too sure, but because if because if he left because he's out of contract in the summer, and there was a lot of interest from Lille, and he, they would have uh, got him in the summer. And if they signed him for free, they would have had to pay a compensation fee for him. That's the thing when it when it comes to to like one young day play- contract and and younger players as well. You kind of get less bargaining pl- power when you're the club selling, I suppose. I think in that area, Chelsea, you need to be very careful, <laughs> given that what I previously happened. Moving on to actually what happened, they did have a transfer ban for irregularities in signing younger players, which they went to a very extreme length to get overturned for this window, and then didn't sign anyone, which is a bit of a bit of a thinker, that one, isn't it? Bit of a bit of a strange one. Funnily enough, I was going to tell you this off air, but I suppose I can tell you now. Uh, one of my friends, who I will not name, has recently um, gotten a new job. I won't say what exact job for Roman Abramovich, so I will have a word if I can and um, see what we can do about um, Chelsea's transfer business. But but no, um, it was very very strange. I mean I mean you're the Billy expert here. What kind of players did you think needed signing or replacing? Uh, it's a difficult one because there are definitely weaknesses in the side that I don't think could be addressed in this window. For example, the sort of lack of midfield creativity. We need someone who is more, uh, well, creative in the midfield. A name that's often linked is Isco, but that's mm-hmm. been going on for three or four years now. I don't think that's ever really happened. That's mm-hmm. sort of just a rumour about someone of his sort of profile that can play in a sort of a more advanced role and be more creative than maybe someone like Mason Mount is. But what really needs to happen was a striker, because you could tell that them not signing someone was not Frank Lampard's choice, because... In the pre-match, I believe it was, for the last game, he was very forthright with his opinions that he wanted... He clearly wanted someone to come in, and he feel, I think he felt that the club had sort of let him down in that sense, because he needed someone, because it's clear that he doesn't rate Batshuayi 
and he really doesn't rate Giroud given what happened at the weekend, which I think we'll come on to in a bit later. Come on to a bit later, sorry. And there are a lot of talk about players they could have signed, like people like Piontek, which I don't think was ever actually going to happen. I think that was just a very sort of a rumor. The sort of Dries Mertens was again a rumor. Didn't think that was going to happen. There are a lot of other factors at play in that one, given that a he's injured at the moment, and b he's also three goals off the Napoli all-time record goal-scoring record. So yeah. you think. Why would you leave that, especially when you can go in the summer anyway? So I don't know who they would have signed, and maybe this was the right call. But as we were talking about the Chinese Super League earlier, I was listening to the Athletic podcast about Chelsea today. Yeah, uh, Strav Cobham, I believe it's called. It's quite good. I recommend that to anyone who's sort of interested in Chelsea and wants to know a bit more what's going on about the club from sort of journalists who work around the club. They were talking about for the inside scoopers. The player they were closest to signing was Salomon Rondon. That's, that's interesting. I, I did not know that. Which, I don't know, I might be alone actually, but any, anyway, it's an interesting one, that, because clearly he's a target man, which is perhaps a different type of player to Abraham, sort of more of a Giroud, Giroud-esque player. Like a younger Giroud. Pretty much, and that is maybe what we did need, someone who wasn't a sort of, we don't need a world-class striker, we don't need someone like, I don't know, he's a, he's a I try to think of someone, Benzema, for example, yep. not great at the bit. Three years ago, that would have been a good example. Yeah. But someone like that, we so I think Tammy Abraham has got everything he needs to be Chelsea's main man. We just need someone who can play in a different style. Like when you look at Tottenham last season, one thing I massively admired, admired about them was the fact that they had Harry Kane and then they had Fernando Llorente. Yeah. And completely different kinds of players. You need a Divock Origi-esque player is what you need. Yeah, I think that's a different kettle of fish in the sense that Origi not the sort of target kind of he's not really a target man is he no but scores a lot of golf a lot of goals from off the bench yeah I think that's that's I think the, the goals thing's not necessarily the thing I'm more worried about it's the fact that you need someone who can act as a key to a different style of play and someone like Lurante as you saw in the Champions League uh, the match with Man City completely changed the, the quarterfinals yeah quarterfinals sorry yeah completely ch- changed the complexity of that match because he provided them a different outlet I mean with that don't you kind of need the midfielders and the fullbacks that are able to uh, whip balls into the box as it were do you think you have that have you, have you seen Reese James crossing <laughs> yeah <laughs> but does, does he always start is my point yeah I think now especially he's come back and seems uh, injury free which is good for James obviously he would he would be good for that. And a game I point to would be the West Ham game, which was a very strange one. It was one Chelsea lost at Stamford Bridge, and it was 1-0. Or two, I don't remember. And when they were chasing a goal, they kept crossing into the box until they brought Giroud on. Then they stopped crossing and started trying to started trying to pass it around. And you just watched it and you thought, like, why, why are they doing that? But anyway, that's completely off topic. It just really annoyed me at the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, the big question I have after the whole Chelsea not signing anyone thing is who would you start, Batshuayi or Giroud? Because ultimately, as a Chelsea fan, I'm stuck with them for the next four or five months and I'm honestly not sure who's better. I think Giroud has a lot of qualities but clearly isn't the fittest player given that he is 34 now and Batshuayi, I'm not sure whether he's proven he is good enough to be the first choice for a club with the profile of where Chelsea want to be. I suppose so. I mean, this is the issue with the January transfer window, isn't it? You can never get the best calibre of player that you want. The striker position as well is probably the most difficult player to 
to sign in that window as well because no one wants no one wants to let go of their goal outlet no matter for how much money midway through the season yeah just from that point I was going to say that two January transfers that Chelsea have made in the past in the striker department uh, were uh, Higuain last year went terribly and perhaps even worse Alexander Pato who is do you know how old Alexander Pato is now how old is he now 30 that is not old I know I heard that today I had to look it up to check that was true but he scored in his debut as well he scored a penalty and it didn't, didn't score again. Am I correct in thinking you signed Fernando Torres in the January transfer window as well? Uh, we did, but I personally am a big fan of Torres, and I think what happened to him at Chelsea was very unfortunate. It's the, cur- it's the Do you believe in the, cur- um, the curse of the number nine shirt? Uh, given how Tammy Abraham's been playing, not really. But he's been injured. He's gone injured. But, yeah, so uh, before I just rant about Chelsea for the next 25 minutes <laughs> I think we will move on to the Premier League review section of the show and the big match at last at the weekend was Tottenham versus Manchester City finished in a 2-0 Manchester a 2-0 Tottenham win sorry and given the xG of that match which I think was somewhere in the region of about 5 for Manchester City and mm. 0.5 for uh, Tottenham Clearly, they won against the run of play. Do you think this was a typical Mourinho defensive, hit them on the break sort of game? Or was it just lucky that Manchester City didn't completely bury them? Um, It's difficult to say. I think I saw a stat the other day that says it's been a similar story with Man City over the last three games. So they've had something between 50 and 60 shots and scored one goal or some, or something like that. So it's 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 not just the way that Spurs played but I think it's it's Man City's form over the last few fixtures as well. But Mourinho has to get some credit here because he did play very well and he was very good at, at changing his um mood when he realized that Sterling was on a yellow card. That was a very entertaining video. Am I right thinking Manchester City missed a penalty as well? Yes, yes they did. Um and then immediately claimed that they should have gotten another penalty because Hugo Lloris uh, when he uh, dives to to get the ball from Sterling is about to receive it. Um, dives, um, VAR rules out the second penalty. Yeah, yeah. Gundogan weirdly, I think, according to the commentator, had a hundred percent um, scoring penalty record before that penalty in his whole career. Well, Gundogan, yeah, 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 took it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. With I was listening to a podcast the other day where they're talking about it and saying how intense Pep Guardiola is about like all things in football, apart from penalties. When they won the Champions League on penalties against his Barcelona team, against Man United, he said to them, just choose your own order. He didn't tell them what to do. He just said, just do what you want. And it's sort of a weird quirk to his management style that he doesn't... Because another thing that was annoyed me, actually, was because he said in an interview that he, the best penalty taker in the squad it's was Edison. Edison. And before the season, I did like a predictions thing on Twitter, and one of the questions was, like, shock, uh, like weird moment of the season... And my thing was a goalkeeper would score. And I was hoping the next Manchester City penalty, Edison would go up, get, would take it. So that's sort of a bit gutting for me on a personal level. I mean, that's it's massively risky because if it's saved and the opposing team is on the break, you're conceding. Unless Carl Walker's standing in between the goalposts. Yeah, it's true. But I mean, I don't support Manchester City, so I'd love to see that. That'd be great entertainment. A very sort of Brazilian-esque thing Clo- to do. Cl- I, mean, closest th- I mean, both Brazilian keepers, I think... This season have managed to get assists, which I think is insane. 
Because, yeah, if anyone wants to see a really good goalkeeper penalty, the one Courtois took against Barcelona pre-season a few years ago for Chelsea, yeah. he absolutely rocked it in the top corner. I've never seen someone hit a penalty that hard. I've gone better. It, it was, it was Pressman-esque. Adrian in the FA Cup. Oh, sorry, he, he, took, sure he took his gloves off as he ran up. Yeah. That one, yeah. And he, he scores and sends West Ham through against Everton to the next round of the FA Cup. It's brilliant. If you haven't watched that on YouTube, search up. Yeah, it's definitely a one worth checking out just for the thing of the goal, the goalkeeping gloves as well. It's definitely a power move. So, another thing on Manchester City, as you said, they haven't been great in the past few weeks. And it does seem a bit like they've sort of taken their foot off the gas. And it, a lot of talk has been about the fact that they seem to like they're trying to score a perfect goal in inverted commas, like yeah. maybe overplaying it. We saw, especially with the, we spoke about it last week, the David Silver pass when he was about three yards out from goal. So do you think that they maybe do need to sort of recalibrate and remember that they do actually have to sort of start trying to win games? It just screams overcoaching to me. It kind of goes back to the point you made a few minutes ago about Pep Guardiola winning games on penalties. For me, I think trying to get into the mind of Pep Guardiola, it would infuriate me if I was him because it's a part of the game that you can't control because you can you can have set plays... Um, tell your players how many times to pass the ball around before you score a goal. But with a penalty, it's a it's a 1v1 chance against the goalkeeper. And for me, I forgot what my point was going to be. But yeah, for me, yeah, I, I think I think it, in the post-match press conference, um, Guardia kind of admitted, yeah, we haven't, we, we're not going to win the league this season. For me, it's just about um, getting the domestic cups, uh, getting as far as we can in the Champions League and and that's it. Congratulations, Liverpool, which I loved to hear. Yeah, it's a pretty satisfying one to hear from your rivals, as even especially after they've been the 13 games left as well, which is quite yeah. shocking. So, just finally on this, I was thinking about the way that Mauricio Pochettino left the club and Mourinho came in. Do you think this is the kind of game that Pochettino wouldn't have won because he wouldn't, uh, I don't want to, disparage Mourinho's tactics but he wouldn't stoop this low in order to get a win he'd rather lose playing his style rather than be more I don't know what the word is uh, pragmatic I mean oh, this is really harsh, harsh on Maurizio Pochettino because I really do like him as a manager but Mourinho is the one who's won league titles in England and, and, and a vast array of other trophies so yeah, for me, I think I think Mourinho played played the right tactics here because it's it's how it's how you win football games over the course of a season to to get that golden prize at the end of it. And I think Spurs fans are just disappointed that he hasn't had the budget he has possibly well not not the budget he's probably spent. They have, they have spent money, but that he's not been able to to come in at the start of the season because I think next season Spurs can do pr- pretty good things in the league. As a Chelsea fan, I sincerely hope you're wrong. <laughs> uh, so moving on from that game to the other end of the table, I don't have many points on this, but I thought it was worth flagging up because it was an interesting one for two teams that I'd personally quite like to see stay in the division. It was Bournemouth versus Aston Villa, which finished in a 2-1 uh, Bournemouth win, despite them having a man sent off. Do you think this was a particularly important win for Bournemouth, given that they are in the same region as Aston Villa on the table? Like, will this be a 
good confidence boost for them going into the next few fixtures, do you reckon? Oh, definitely. I think it's what they call a a um, relegation battle six-pointer. Um, yeah, for me, Bournemouth, Bournemouth are the club that... that just need to stay in the Premier League. I mean, when 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 clubs get promoted and they go down the next season, that that's not unusual. But the work that that Eddie Howe has done um, since he became Bournemouth manager. I mean, I was looking at a story the other day where um, somebody spray painted over the owner of Bournemouth's house saying, "You don't know what you're doing." Uh, then appointed Eddie Howe. Someone spray painted again, "You still don't know what you're doing," and then he takes the club from League Two to the to the Premier League so for me I, I definitely want to see them stay up and this, this win is going to give them the confidence to to be able to do it uh, I hope it's not at Villa's expense because as a native Brummie I, I also want to see Aston Villa stay in the league as well Yeah with the Eddie Howe thing there is a temptation to say that perhaps it has gone a bit stale under him given how long he's been there but when you look at what happened when he left the club to go to Burnley it didn't go particularly well for either club and I think that maybe just perfect place for him even now after all these years and he is so well loved at the club given that he played for them as a player I think and then obviously moved into coaching afterwards that ultimately even if they did get relegated I could see them sticking with him because he is sort of well, he's the longest serving Premier League manager isn't he yeah. I believe which is quite an impressive stat given that well I mean he's obviously never going to overtake Arsene Wenger who was there for well, I was uh, uh Alex Ferguson was there longer, but then after he retired, it became yeah. Wenger who took over in '96, I believe. So yeah. he is definitely not going to be Wenger. Definitely, tw- that was about 20 years. I think Wenger was there. So it is an interesting one. If they did, if one of them, well, if they did hypothetically both get relegated, which one do you think would do better in the championship? Oof, that's so to say. Um, pro- probably Bournemouth because Villa for me kind of are the ones that need an overhaul. Um, They've, they've essentially got an entirely new team this season. Um, the, there'd be question marks over whether or not they'd be able to keep Jack Grealish because of how many top clubs that he's been linked with at the end of the season. Whereas Bournemouth, I think a lot of those players would end up staying, with the exception of the likes of uh, Callum Wilson. Yeah, I, I'd probably be inclined to agree with you there. Although I wouldn't discount Aston Villa to get relegated, given the experience that Dean Smith has in the championship more recently than, than Eddie Howe mm-hmm. I, Bournemouth haven't been in the championship for a long time now and times do sort of move on and I think that the experience that Dean Smith would have got last year with getting them Villa up would only go to serve him well were they to have to again because I think uh, both of them even if they did get rid of I think they would both stick with their manager as they're both I think both managers are incredibly popular because Dean Smith's obviously a boyhood Aston Villa fan and as I said, the amount of time Eddie Howe's been at the club, he's sort of been become almost interwoven within the fabric of the club. Yeah. When you think of Bournemouth, he is the first name you think of. So, yeah, could be definitely an interesting one. And the last game from last week I just wanted to quickly flag up was one I sort of alluded to earlier, the Leicester versus Chelsea game. And before I get on to it, I do have an apology to make to Jules about his fantasy football corner last week. His one to watch was Harvey Barnes, and I said he wouldn't score. And unfortunately for me, he did, and almost got the winner as well with a shot that went very narrowly wide. I saw that and I thought, oh, the goals allowed fantasy listeners. Oh, those those poor people that ended up bringing him in. I know. I 
if if he had scored the winner, I would have cut out what I said last week and just played it just <laughs> for some extra sort of just mugging myself off. That would really. be clipped, and I would have put it on Twitter. Yeah, it might have gone viral though. So you know, could have dragged <laughs> on a few more listeners. <laughs> so anyway, my main note from this uh, game was why can't Chelsea score, which we have spoke about at length multiple times on this podcast. I don't don't propose we go into it very clearly, very deeply, should I say? But what I will say is that two goals coming from your centre-backs from set-pieces, well, from a centre-back at set-pieces, is not a sustainable way to score goals in the Premier League. No, and it's a very, very, very Burnley-esque way to win football games, isn't it? And I'll leave it at that for this week. Come <laughs> Tune in in two weeks' time after Chelsea have played, and I don't know, they'll not score at all. Who knows? Honestly, it's, it's getting pretty bad. I feel bad. Every, every, every week we have this show... And I, I, I always seem to be happy because we've won a football game, whereas with yours and Danny's clubs, there's always question marks. Will they win their next football game? Who knows? Let's find out. And with Chelsea, their overwhelming probability, given their amount of wins they've got in the last few games, is no, they won't. They'll probably draw or maybe lose. Yeah, so I did actually think that Chelsea did play quite well on the balance of play. Uh, draw was probably fair. But the worrying thing that me and Jules were talking about off-air beforehand was that the gap between Tottenham and Chelsea now for the top four race, if you want to call it that, is just four points. And given that Tottenham did beat Man City, which I didn't think many people saw coming, I still expected Man City to win that one. They are now, well, next week, Chelsea have, yeah, not not this week, next week's the winner break. Chelsea have Manchester United, who have got quite a good record of drawing against top six clubs, which is worrying. And then Aston Villa are at home to Tottenham. If Tottenham win that one and Chelsea draw, the gap will be down to one point. And then the following week, Chelsea host Tottenham at Stamford Bridge, which could be a massive game in terms of who will finish in the top four. And given Mourinho's record at getting wins in the sort of showpiece games, I, as a Chelsea fan, I am very worried about that. Do you think it is sort of one that we should, Chelsea fans should be a bit wary of? Yeah, um, for, for me, it look, kind of looks like Spurs have, have, have come out of nowhere ever since they, they sat Pochettino, because I thought Leicester and Chelsea were were right on course for getting that third and fourth spot, but I guess you're just going to have to go out and beat Man United, aren't you? Yeah, hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can do that one. Uh, and finally on that one, I just want I did think about talking about what, Leicester sort of need to do to bridge the gap to Liverpool but then looking at the table they are currently 24 points off Liverpool and I think that talking about how clubs can get up to that level is perhaps a bit pointless because I think this even as a Liverpool fan you'd admit this season is probably a bit of an outlier given how many wins you've got to draws and stuff yeah I mean there's a whole argument that every every team has been below form but if you if you look at Man City's Record um, compared to last season. If if they had, had matched where they were last season, they would still be behind us. They would have had to have been perfect for for them to be above us. But I don't I don't think I don't think it's impossible if Leicester have have the the right investment. I mean, I remember two seasons ago where we finished twenty five points behind Man City. So it's, I don't think I don't think it's undoable. Yeah, actually, I I didn't think that to be fair. That is actually quite a good point, and perhaps. Even if Liverpool don't get as many points next season, perhaps a team like Leicester could close the gap if they sort of invest their money in the right way. 
So moving on from that, I think we will now go to Jules's Fantasy Football Corner that we discussed briefly earlier, so we don't have to talk about Harvey Barnes again, please. I think I've had enough of that from, from this week. So I'll, 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 slightly, I'll slightly gloss over it so you can um, uh, keep, avoid keep the my, stinging keep, memory. Keep, keep my dignity intact. So, reflecting on game week 25 for my team, Lalana's in pyjamas, we finished on a final score of 48 points. Uh, my best player was Salah, who I fortunately captained, uh, resulting in me getting 32 points from him, uh, which was a lot of my overall points, so I'm, I'm quite glad of that. Uh, and my rank has increased uh, from around the 115,000 mark to the 114,000 mark. But when it's that um, high compared to the 7 million players, I'm... I'm I'm quite happy with that. Um, so, reflecting on last week's predictions, as we just mentioned, my one to watch was Harvey Barnes, who did manage to score against Chelsea, and that's the third game week in a row, uh, third game week in a row that he's managed to score. So that was a good shout there. Um, the captain that I said for people to pick was Mo Salah, and he did manage to score two goals and get all three bonus points, and he was my captain for the week. So we were happy with that, and. Um, Danny and Jake's prediction of getting rid of any top six striker was probably the right call because none of them scored this game week. Bar Song Hoon Min, if you want to call him a striker, I, I probably wouldn't uh, because Aubameyang, Abraham, Aguero, Firmino and Martial, uh, who I would say are the, the usual top six strikers, all failed to score. Um, but Firmino did get three assists, so... Um, there's a, another one to watch potentially, but for game week tw- uh, for game week 26, my one to watch is going to be Bruno Fernandes. Not just for this week, but for for future weeks as well. Uh, as we briefly touched upon earlier, he does take a lot of shots uh, from outside the box, uh, and he is listed as a mis- as a midfielder. So he's uh, a good opportunity to get that extra point to get five points from a goal from midfield and he's a very good goal threat uh, my captain for this week I would go for any Man City asset I say this but I'm not going to heed my own advice because I'm likely going to captain Salah because Liverpool are playing Norwich away and there are still question marks over Mane's fitness for that game uh, but if you do have Sergio Aguero I would highly recommend captaining him because um of Man City's expected goals over the last few weeks, I'm sure they will eventually be back to clattering teams 3-4-0 and considering they have West Ham at home I don't think too many people would uh, argue against uh, the potential for that to happen there Uh, my get rid for this week, although it breaks my heart is going to have to be the legend, the lord John Lundstrom who uh, plays as a midfielder for Sheffield United but the avid fantasy players out there will know that he's been listed as a defender in the game which gives you uh, an extra two points um, compared to strikers in the game so six points for a for a defender uh, unfortunately he has been playing considerably less minutes in the last few weeks and with uh, the very surprising signing of Sander Berg I think that's how you pronounce it for Sheffield United uh, his place is further under risk there so if you still have John Lundstrom I would seriously consider getting rid especially due to the League Cup final fixtures um, the the fixtures from the League Cup weekend being um, moved I think Sheffield United was supposed to play Aston Villa that weekend but obviously they're 
they're busy in the League Cup finals. That'll be a blank game week in game week 28. Well, that's a pretty comprehensive coverage of fantasy football, so I think people would do well to heed your advice there, given how well you did last week. I will not heed my own advice, but if other people do, that will make me happy. So, just finally on this show, I wanted to touch on Jules's team, Liverpool, as we haven't mentioned them this week. They were in action in the FA Cup fourth round with a uh, replay against Shrewsbury at Anfield, which was most notable for the fact that Jurgen Klopp and the entirety of the first team, aside from James Milner, who was there as a a spectator, didn't actually play in the game. It was an entirely academy-based squad, and led by his assistant manager, I believe. No, the under twenty three. Oh, under twenty three manager, whose name escapes Neil. Yes, Neil Neil Critchley. I thought it was Neil Critchley, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, do you think that Klopp's gamble, if it hadn't paid off, would you have been disappointed that Liverpool had been knocked out of the cup at quite an early stage? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it an early stage if you look at our record in the FA Cup over the the last few seasons, because we have very often been going out in the um, in the third round, but. I, th- I think for me, the 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 gamble has played off because obviously we want to see uh, the under twenty three team do well. I mean, a few of these players are hopefully going to be making it to the first team. Um, but would I've been disappointed if we'd lost? No, probably not because our, our chances in the the next game against Chelsea, your mob, um, are not looking good. Too good if you look at how. Um, our second string team did against Shrewsbury the first time round. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. And just, we were talking about this off air beforehand, but I would be interested to hear your take again because I've somewhat forgotten. Uh, would you rather Liverpool went on to win this cup if it meant they didn't do an invincible se- didn't do an invincible season? I know you said you wouldn't. You'd rather they did an invincible season. But what? what to you is so sort of inviting about doing an invincible season I mean the fact that only one other team in Premier League history has been able to do it combined with the fact that um, there's an opportunity to become centurions as well by getting a hundred plus points I mean that that's unprecedented in the Premier League for me the FA Cup's going to come round every single season this Liverpool team is not going to become rubbish all of a sudden so there's always the opportunity to upgrade the second string team and try and win it again next season but for me um, this team is is never going to potentially go unbeaten and get 100 points in the same season ever again so for me been off the FA Cup and go for that invincible Centurion league win league title win yeah I think the way you put it there this sort of invincible Centurion whole sort of thing is Arguably the two most impressive Premier League achievements combined into one. Yep. And I think that sort of immortalises your team in legend. Although one record you obviously won't beat that I mention all the time is the Chelsea goals conceded record. No, unless unless we don't concede another goal for the rest of this season, I think we'll still only still match it, uh, not, you, not beat yeah, it. Yeah, you're on currently on 15, Chelsea to 15 throughout the entire season. Yep. So I don't think you will beat that one so I think that just about does it for this week on that delightful note for me Uh, yeah so remember you can find us on Spotify and other podcast streaming services by just searching Goals Aloud you can find me on Twitter at JakeSandyFC and you can also find Jules at JulesSig underscore so as ever thank you so much for listening it's goodbye from me goodbye from Jules I've been me and we'll see you back here live on Burn FM next Thursday evening at 9pm